0: You're listening to the Family Discipleship Podcast, a podcast of Training the Church.
1: I hope what you're hearing us say today is to build off compassion. Compassion for the kid in front of you, compassion for the culture they find themselves in, and compassion for those who feel differently.
0: Christ and His church doesn't have to be afraid. We know that the gates of hell will not prevail. And so we can have hope and uh, we can love our neighbor without having to be afraid. For those of us in the church who are seeking to follow
2: Christ, they may feel like their struggle is unrelatable. And you go, no, we have this great high priest who went before us and he even submitted his body to not only what felt like death to him, but was an actual physical death, right? So when we submit our bodies to the will of the Father and it feels like death, we are not alone.
1: This is Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my lovely co-hosts. First, Mrs. Cassie Bryant. How are you doing today, Cassie? I'm
0: good. I'm loving the rain. It's raining here, which is... I heard it rained earlier this week, but I was in Chicago. But
1: this is the first I've seen it rain in a long time. Welcome back to Dallas. It is raining this morning. It feels like (laughs) nighttime outside. I feel like we're doing like a midnight lock-in episode of Family Discipleship Podcast. and I'll take it. Now, Chelsea, as a sufferer of seasonal affective disorder, or SAD, how are you doing today? Sad. Yeah, I figured. How does the rain well, make you feel?
2: Makes me feel sad inside when the skies are gray, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be an overcomer today.
1: <laughs> That's great. It's
0: also okay to feel sad.
1: It is. Yeah. You know?
0: Thank you, Cassie. The sun's <laughs> going to come out again. Tomorrow? Oh, I see what you did there. Sing it, Adam.
1: Sing it. I can't. No, not today. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, listeners, we've got a really big topic for you, one that a lot of people have been asking us about. So we're going to jump right into it. It's it's certainly, um, for some people, very personal, for others, very sensitive, and for others, very taboo. Like a lot of people don't like to talk about this. And so mm-hmm. I thought I could start off this episode a little bit differently than what we normally do. I want to start with a a long list And unfortunately, it's not super long. I mean, it's going to take me a minute to get through it. But I just have some qualifiers. Uh, We want to talk to our listeners about having conversations with your family around LGBTQ plus issues and uh, explaining it to younger kids, maybe talking about a little bit with older kids, really equip some Christians on this. I feel like uh, this is a question I get. More often than any other question from parents right now, is just how do we talk to our kids about it? And part of that, of course, is that it is a it's not so much a cultural issue. I feel like the culture has kind of decided where it lands. It's just the culture is inundated with aspects of it. So let me start with my first qualifier: when we talk about anything having to do with sexuality or anything having to do with differences, anything to having to do with identity. The uh, the Christian first has to come from a place of compassion, a place of, of validating the fact that other people might experience something that I have not.
0: That's right. A
1: place that understands and empathizes with either suffering or struggling or disagreeing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I want to make it really clear that everything we're going to talk about today, while it may be something that uh, maybe you've been a listener to this podcast for a while, and then when you hear our views on this, maybe it'll be upsetting to you. Let me uh, let me just say, I have so much compassion for people who view this differently than I do. And I, I want to talk about this as if I am having a conversation with someone who is uh, struggling with this, questioning what who they are or what they are, because that's typically the conversations I have. When I talk with teenagers, when I talk with parents about um, them discovering their own sexual identity, a lot of it is a very difficult position involving a lot of questions and doubts and hurts and fears And so, of course, we're going to come very clearly, but not in a uh, condemning sense of here's how strongly we feel and how um, awful it is if you believe something different uh, because we look down on you. Now, I believe every human being is created the image of God, that sin has corrupted everything about us. And therefore, we can have compassion for every single person because all of us uh, need to be those who surrender uh, whatever we believe or feel uh, to our one good King who's spoken into these things. Now, second qualifier is that Chelsea and Cassie and I are happy to talk about this and can talk about it even more off the air sometime if it would help you if you're local, but we are not uh, self-proclaimed experts on sexuality. We certainly have our own personal experiences that we will not get into every aspect of because it's our stories to share, and we have our own um, uh, family members and friends for whom this is a very different uh, topic to discuss. They would have a very different discussion with you. Uh, But for us, we're going to speak about it from uh, where we normally speak from, imperfect parents who are trying to talk about following a perfect God by following His Word as closely as we can uh but we are we are not in a vacuum sometimes when we talk about this uh because of the views that I hold that are biblical views, people will assume then that I have no friends that are lgBTq plus <laughs> that I must be insulated from it, that maybe I just have kind of a um a naive point of view that is far from the truth. uh Chelsea and Cassie and I have friendships with people who are same sex attracted. We have uh, relationships with families that are walking through these kind of conversations. This is not us uh, reading a book or looking something up online and then kind of deciding what we feel. Uh, These are real conversations about real people for us. Now, we're also Christian parents, so understand that our views are rooted in what we believe about Christ. This is not a view that we came up with because... Uh, This is our political leaning and how we want to vote, or this is uh, because we were taught something from a certain denomination. We are Christian parents. That means we follow Christ on these things. So we read into our views on sexuality from a biblical worldview. So if you have an issue with the way Family Discipleship uh, podcast lands on this, understand that I I believe your issue is not so much with uh, what we believe so much as how we interpret the scripture. And while there are people out there who will claim to follow Christ, and this is important for your parents to understand, part of the reason this is such a hot-button issue is there's people who will say they are faithful Christians who will disagree with what the Scripture says about homosexuality, about promiscuity, about sex outside of marriage, about gender and gender identities. They will claim to be following Christ and then claim that these do not matter. Now, to me, the bigger issue there, even that what we believe about sexuality is the way that we interpret the scriptures. Mm. And so for us, we would say the scripture as our authority and our inerrant authority is where we're going to land because I trust God even over my own heart, over my own desires. And so Mm -hmm. understand that everything that we want to talk through with you comes from the position of a Christian parent. It's centered on how we read the Bible. Uh, the other thing I want to point out is this is an episode that may not age well because if you listen to this a couple of years from now, I expect that terms that we use today will be offensive two years from now because that's the way this conversation goes. There are ever-changing terms for things. That's why it's LGBTQ+. plus. There are always additional terms or changing terms or something that was uh, not offensive five years ago is now offensive today. And so understand that we're going to try to use as sensitive a terms as possible, but even so, if you're listening a couple years after this has been recorded, I expect that the terms will have evolved. I want no part of a cancel culture that listens back and says, well, because Adam or Chelsea or Cassie said this— Therefore, they cannot be listened to on anything. Gosh, whatever's next for our culture, it'll be, you know, transgenderism wasn't so much on the radar maybe 15 years ago. Uh, The cultural views on homosexuality in the early 2000s were very different than they are now. And there's always something evolving, whatever it's, whatever's next. And you can already see some of the signs of what's next. I mean, right now it would be ridiculous to have a, an episode where we talk about uh, equipping parents for addressing uh, sex robots that are available for your kids to buy. But I'll tell you, in 20 years, that may not be the case. That may be a very normal thing for us to have to address with our teenagers uh, or A.I., uh, sex partners, uh, artificial intelligence for dating, or, or honestly, what I think is right around the corner, probably for us culturally, is polygamy. Because I see the permissions in uh, consensual relationships. I think uh, plural marriage is probably a conversation that's coming. You're going to have to have it with your kids soon, but it's not a big cultural issue right now. Uh, just a couple more things before we talk through and have a little bit more of a conversation here. But understand too, parents, that uh, I think the age of your children and maybe even the location of where your family lives, w- will vary broadly on how and when to address this topic. Uh, I do think you should always have age-appropriate talks about sexuality with your kids, even from young ages. Uh, doesn't mean you talk about everything every time, but an age-appropriate version of talking about sexuality with your kids. And then depending on where you live or who you interact with, you may have to have these more advanced or quicker or slower, or what your kid is struggling with or facing at school or at home. Uh, I do think one thing is important, though, that silence on this issue is not going to serve your kids. Uh, Just not saying anything or just waiting, that is not going to serve your family. That's why we're having this episode is because we believe it's something while parents may be hesitant to have conversations around sexuality and cultural differences between biblical sexuality and what the culture approves of and celebrates, uh, we do think silence is not going to serve them. Okay? So everyone who follows Christ, uh, let me just make it really clear. This is not a talk about how other people need to surrender their sexuality because maybe they have a uh, attraction to people of the same sex or multiple genders, or uh, maybe they are struggling with gender dysphoria, that they need to surrender uh, their sexual desires to the Lord, but we are kind of above it. I want to make it clear too that Adam... Griffin, Chelsea Griffin, and Cassie Bryant, each one of us, needs to surrender our sexual desires to the Lordship of Christ. We believe that everyone has this in common, and this is an important point to start with in these conversations with your kids, is that we're going to talk about some things the Lord has warned us against, but understand that every single one of us has a desire to follow something sexually that the Lord has warned us against. God's design for sexuality and our ability to corrupt it is unlimited. Uh, So we could do um, an important episode talking about this, but we could just as easily do an important episode talking with your kids about promiscuity, talking about, we've already done one actually about pornography. There are all sorts of versions of, uh, or even um, uh, maybe an episode more about asexuality and the refusal or uh, abuse of these things. And so there's there's a lot more we could talk about. And just a couple more things real quick. This is not an episode on parenting a child who identifies as LGBTQ+. That is an important episode. I think we probably can do that in the future, talking about when your kid comes out to you and says, this is who I am and how I'm struggling. And while that's a worthy episode, that's not going to be this one. We're going to focus a little bit more in the next couple of minutes about addressing the gap between what our culture is teaching about human sexuality and gender identity and what the Bible teaches. And therefore, how do we teach about it in our homes? But uh, there's a little bit of a more nuanced conversation and a more in-depth conversation to have about if this is in your home and this is your kid saying, this is who I am, what's a great way to address that? And I think there's There's a lot of really poor ways to address it. I've certainly counseled, especially a lot of young men whose parents have not responded well to that. And then lastly, last qualifier here, what we're going to talk about, and we talk about this being biblical, we're not just talking about a Levitical law in the Old Testament. We're not just talking about Paul in the New Testament. In Romans, sometimes people will throw it out and say, well, we we don't follow all the Levitical law. Some people say, well, if you throw out Paul... Listen, we see God's design for sexuality to be an expression of love meant to be mirrored in marriage commitments. We see that throughout the Bible, even when it isn't... um Uh, disapproving of same-sex relationships or of orgies, of other kind of sexual uh, perversions, what the Bible would call them. Even when it's not disapproving of that, the story of God's design for marriage, of a man and a woman married, is something you read about it over and over and over again. This weekend, I'll be teaching on Ephesians 5. It's about wives are like this, husbands are like this. It's affirming God's design for the family. Also, I love to point out, guys, sometimes people will say, man, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. Uh, Jesus, in his letter to the church, in one of his letters to the church in Revelation, he says, what I hold against you, church, is that you are um, condoning, you are um, approving of sexual immorality in your church. And it's something he's holding against one of the churches. Say, this is not something the Lord does. The Lord does not approve of what the Bible calls sexual immorality. And so when a church does that, which is one of the big issues right now in America is we have a lot of churches that would call themselves Christians that are saying, well, can't we just approve of some versions of sexual immorality? And and Christ would say, when a church does that, I do not approve of that. And so our churches should not be condoning that. There are tons of marriage affirmations in the Bible I'll tell you what, baseline, God has something better to offer us than what the world is telling us and often what our hearts are telling us. And so I trust him with this topic, Mm. and that's where we're going to lean most heavily. We believe God created sex and sexuality as a gift. The world has corrupted it. We believe that God created gender and the family as a gift, and the world corrupts it. And in that... I'm not trying to vilify people who think differently than me or that are experiencing the world differently than me. I'm just trying to point out how a loving God has called us to be and how sin can break things, even down to my genetics. All right, that's enough of me talking. That was my entire uh, speech to get us started with. I hope that serves you parents. I hope Chelsea and Cassie, you feel served by that. But Cassie, uh, kick us off a little bit more conversation. Why do you think so many people asked us to talk about this? Why is this such an important topic for us to discuss?
0: Uh, Well, I think that so many people are asking because, um, especially parents today, I don't know how well of a job the generation before us did in teaching us or talking about this. And so it's kind of left us, where we've had models from our parents how to do other things or have conversations with our kids about things, it's maybe left us lacking Um, and kind of... uh, Maybe even panicking because we look out in the world and we feel unprepared for what our kids are facing or encountering sometimes on a daily basis or, uh, I mean, definitely if depending on how engaged they are with media, but um, even in their schools or their cities. And so um, I think parents want to do a good job and want to do better than maybe our parents or grandparents did. And so, or even the church before us did, you know, the church wasn't talking about sexuality that much with the purity culture of the eighties and nineties and stuff. So it was just abstain, abstain, abstain until you get married. Um, so I think that, and I'm grateful that parents are asking. It means they're thinking about it and, um, it's top of mind and they want to, uh, they want to do a good job. They don't want to sweep it under a rug and avoid it. They want to engage their children. And so that as a next gen minister, that makes my heart very happy that they're, they're asking and that they're seeking, um, they're seeking help.
1: I love that answer. I hadn't really thought about that much, but you're right. I think in a previous generation, certainly a generation I grew up, when it taught about sexuality, you really had two uh, main pillars that you would hear a lot of is abstinence and condemnation. Abstinence would be like refraining from anything sexual, which can, we'll talk about this in a minute, but can make any version of sex seem kind of dirty and ungodly. And then condemnation was uh, really the Mm heavy-handed, guilt and shame-inducing condemnation of any sexuality um, that the church frowned upon. Now, As opposed to that, I hope what parents will hear us talk about a lot here is grace for those, for everyone, but grace for those who are struggling right now, grace for those who are hurting, but also affirmation, affirmation of what's beautiful about this, that uh, we believe uh, as Christians that biblically the the picture is that any sexuality outside of one long-term monogamous committed relationship called marriage between a man and a woman, is not God's design for sexuality. And so anything outside of that. I mean we could get we could get off topic. We could start talking about pornography again. We can talk about masturbation, we can talk about promiscuity, we can talk about how far is too far in high school relationships, we can talk about orgies or or polygamy or bisexuality or homosexuality or transgenderism. Anything outside of God's design is something that that God has warned us against, and I I believe he can be trusted in his design, but tons of grace, mercy, and compassion here. Chelsea, do you think there's room in this culture for a dissenting view on sexuality right now?
2: Well, I think there should be in a place, uh, you know, for our listeners here in the States where we claim to have free speech and liberty, um, and we love personal autonomy, um, but then at the same time, our culture... Would like to to shove out a dissenting view, um, especially a religious view. But you know, Adam, you point this out all the time that sometimes a secular humanist viewpoint or an atheist viewpoint, um, people like to believe, is a neutral viewpoint. Right. When in reality, it's just as religious as mm. a Christian viewpoint or a Jewish or. Buddhist, or Muslim viewpoint, right? As secular humanism, atheism, there's still a set of beliefs um, that says some things are right and some things are wrong. Most of them proclaim an absolute truth of some sort, right? Even atheism right. would say there is no God. That is a religious view. And so I, I think we should have room for a dissenting view, but I, I think our culture doesn't really prefer that when I'm talking about mainstream culture. But um, individually, I think people, people do. Right, because like you said, Adam, we're not in a vacuum. We have friends that believe differently than us, and right. we're a- and we're able to have loving relationships with people who, yeah. who see something different. But a lot of times, it's portrayed from a media perspective as anytime you differ with someone, that is the same thing as hating them. Right. And so I think it's important to point out that a dissenting view, as Christians, are dis- when we dissent, that can't be a hateful a hateful view. Right. It's important. Right that we're able to be respectful and be kind and be loving and say, I think differently, but it, but it doesn't lack love. It doesn't yeah. lack compassion. That's the part that Christians as a whole, the church as a whole, where we have been kind of pegged for being judgmental and condemning, that's the part that I think we need to, we need to work on a big time. You know.
1: I love what you're saying there. I think that's so important because there is a presumption and this is part of the reason that parents have a hard time talking about with their family. There's a presumption that the Christian view is unloving. Right. Uh, because our culture views the affirmation of whatever you want to do with your body as loving and endorsing and validating. And anything less than that is is bullying or it's mean-spirited. And I'll, I've had this conversation more than once with someone who disagrees with me about this. And, and sometimes even with people who would say, you know, um, like a, a gay man and I would have this conversation. And we would talk about, uh, you know, how he would feel like my position was very unloving. And I, honestly, I, I, like Chelsea said, I have a lot of very reasonable friends. We have very reasonable conversations about this. And I would ask him very simply, and I think this is a good groundwork for the conversation with your own family. I would say, do you believe that you can love me even though I believe differently about this? And if you said, yeah, I can, I can still love you even though I know you believe differently about this. And I'd say, why can't you believe that I still love you even though I believe differently about this? Like, could you give me the same credit that you're willing to extend to yourself to say you could still be loving if, to a person who you would maybe consider bigoted or you consider judgmental? you could still love me as a Christian. I could say, as a Christian, could I maybe still love you as a person who interprets the Bible different or a person uh, who rejects what the Bible says or a person who um, is not a Christian at all or is walking in a different uh, temptation than I am? And and I think that's a great position to start with because you're starting with a position of saying, just so we're clear, like, I love you. Like, I'm for you. And my love for you is not on the line in what I believe about what God has asked me to do and asked me to be. All right, Cassie, how do you advise families to have this conversation? You're a church worker. I mean, you guys talk about equipping families in these things. How do you how do you advise families to talk about uh, same sex attraction? Uh, to yeah. talk about transgenderism? How do you how do you equip them for this conversation?
0: Yeah, so I'd say we first start with um, you know in James it tells us to ask God for wisdom, and so I think uh, we can we're going to talk about some resources here in a second, but we can look at all the resources, but ultimately. Uh, we need God to help us start this conversation and to have it and to for it to be um, filled with truth, but also laced in grace. And so, yeah, I would say start there as a family. Start just praying for your kids, pray for these conversations, and and just prepare yourself. Especially if you have young kids and you're not there yet talking about it already, um, or, go ahead and start preparing yourself for the conversations. And then I would say again for parents with younger kids, uh, start with the foundation of what sex is. T- start talking about sex. Um, and that way, when it comes to the way the world is perverted, sex and sexual desires, um, you they already have a foundation laid for God's intention for sex, the gift that it is for marriage, and uh, the picture of Christ and His bride. And uh, and then you're working off of that foundation, and you're not having to go back and start over. Uh, and so I would have a plan for talking about that with your kids. And again, there's some resources out there um, that will help with that, uh, that we can list in the show notes. but. And then I would say start with compassion, just like you said earlier, that we would start with talking about how um, men and women who uh, struggle with this, whether they're in the church and they struggle with same-sex attraction or they're outside of Christian belief and they um, are given to the desires of their flesh, that um, we would still see them as um, our our fellow humankind, that they would still be, yeah. that we would still operate in love towards them. And, um yeah, so I think that's where all the places I would start, and then it, it will just kind of tar- it will kind of take shape around that. You know, it's kind of like sometimes I think of parenting as like playing with play doh, and it's like it's not, you know, it stays malleable, and so not every conversation you have is going to be concrete in their minds forever. Like you get yeah. to shape it as you go, and so don't feel like you have one shot at getting this right, um, but you're building and you're going, and and it will take shape as you go.
1: That's helpful. Let's. Let's talk about resources for a second. Our family has built kind of a small library, and we have uh, a bunch of books. Some of them are pretty dated now, which I, I can tell you, as a guy who's read a lot on this over the years, things evolve all the time. Culturally, because yeah. uh, because the culture's evolving all the time, the church's conversations around this change all the time. And so while I could have pointed out some resources 10 years ago, now I'd be like, man, anything 10 years ago is probably not up to speed on the way the mm. cultural conversation is yeah. going. But when you think about this conversation, what are the resources that maybe are, are more recent or the voices that you think are worth listening to yeah. on this that would equip parents, Cassie?
0: Well, that's the other thing I would say as parents who are, like, I'm not. we're not going to give you a list of children's books that are going to address this. So you can just read your kid and then you check a box, right? right. Uh, this is more seeking to be... Equipped yourself in your own thoughts and theology of sex and um, the LGBTQ world. And then out of that, knowing your children, how to shape those conversations. But the voices that I listen to, uh, the female voices I listen to would be Jackie Hill Perry. She's awesome. And she's got, I mean, you can find her stuff on YouTube. You can listen to her and her husband's podcast. You can read her book, uh, Gay Girl, Good God. Uh, Rachel Gilson is another great voice. Rebecca McLaughlin, who we had come on this podcast, she's. Phenomenal. Again, you can, you know, uh, sit down with your spouse and watch some YouTube uh, interviews with her. You can also read her book. Um, well, she's got Secular Creed, and then uh, the Ten Questions um, Every Teen Should Ask, be able to answer and ask about, ask and answer about Christianity. I can't remember the title. Sorry, but there's two chapters in that book, which is, I mean, if you have a middle schooler, I would say just buy that book and work through it with your child because those two chapters are super helpful and giving a framework. Um, And then some of the male voices that I would be paying attention to are Trevin Wax, uh, Sam Albury, he's so great, and he's so compassionate and kind. And um, I just even love listening to him speak. So he's got several podcast interviews and uh, YouTube videos. And then Preston Sprinkle. And those will also touch on the transgender conversation as well, not just uh, sexuality.
1: Hey friends, it's March and that means Easter is right around the corner. In fact, Easter is in March this year. It's part of the reason I'm pumped to tell you about one of our sponsors who's got a really special Easter deal. This is a great time to get some new resources to disciple your family. Our friends over at Lithos Kids are having an Easter basket sale. They got the brand new Little Pilgrims Big Journey Complete box set. It's now available. Guys, I can't tell you how much I love this resource. family 10 to get 10 percent off your entire order sometimes hard things happen sometimes they happen to children when god makes scribbles beautiful is a beautifully illustrated book that helps kids trust that god can take their hard things and use them for good this picture book imagines that the hard things in a child's life is a scribble following him everywhere Readers will journey through God's promises from the Bible, inspiring hope and faith in God's good and redemptive plan. Hard things don't always go away, but God can turn them into something beautiful. Available at BeautifulScribbles.com. Download a free Parent Connection Guide and printable scripture cards. That's a great segue, because I'd love to talk about transgenderism specifically. It's a very hot-button topic right now. It's a bit, uh, it, Because it became politicized, then it becomes uh, news, then it becomes uh, what do you think, and how, how, how do I know if I like you or not? I don't know if I hate you based on what you believe. We've shared on the podcast before about a conversation Chelsea had with our son based on a, a program he was watching at a, a haircutting place sports clips one time, and I love oh, yeah. the way Chelsea handled that conversation, uh, even from a very young age with our sons. But uh, Chelsea, you know that we've had neighbors that are transgender we uh, certainly have had uh i've I've counseled young men and young women who are uh, they would say struggling with gender dysphoria uh, but when it comes to thinking about this as a mom talking with your kids or helping families think how they can faithfully talk about this how how can families have great conversations around transgenderism in their homes?
2: The kind of undercurrent of what we're talking about to Today is compassion. Um, as believers, right, part of our, the big part of our walk with Christ is being transformed into his image, right? right. And uh, we're so grateful that we can see the life of Christ throughout the scriptures and how yeah. he disciples. And the way we talk about family discipleship, we talk about time, moments, and milestones, right? And so time being this intentional time that we spend teaching our kids and teaching the scriptures, teaching about the character of God. And so um, when it comes to the designated time that we have in our families with the scriptures, we're talking faithfully about Genesis one and two, maybe a short lived time in humanity, but so important, so important to think about God's good design, how he made us, um, what it would be like for for holy people to be in a holy place with a holy God. and so honoring God's design and creation um, is an important foundation for talking about transgenderism, that God created us male and female. What does that mean? Um, and then when we think about moments, uh, the moments in discipleship are just the things that come up every day in everyday life uh, where we can point out God's goodness, where we can just frame conversations with our kids to help them understand who they are as someone who's an image bearer of God, made to represent and resemble God. Um, like you're talking about Adam, you know, me and Oscar, we sat through this long show on ESPN about, you know, a boy who became a girl and then competed on a girl's, um, track team and, you know, just talking with Oscar, asking him just genuine questions, um, with no condemnation, no judgment, but just asking him, you know, if a doctor did a surgery on you, could you, would you be a girl then? Or if you wore dresses, would you be a girl? Right, and you know, and he's just able to say, no, no, I don't think I would be a girl if I put on a dress. And I say, you're right, you wouldn't be. Um, and then just again, trying to teach our children about the world that they're in, and to, to explain to him, some people don't feel that way. Some people, yeah, don't feel content in the way God made them. Some people are hurting. You may be hurting one day about this, but again, that that just window into the heart showing compassion, showing grace, and trying to just speak honestly with our kids, but without shying away from the fact that God is a good creator and can be trusted.
1: That's excellent. I I love what you're saying about image-bearing, too, because it also helps us equip our kids. When you you root what you're going to talk about with your kids in Genesis 1 and 2, about the fact that even the people that are going to disagree with us or those people that we would identify as or they would self-identify as transgender— or as gay, or as lesbian, or as bisexual, they would say, those are image bearers, those are human beings, they are not our enemies, they are not monsters, there's not something wrong with them that is not wrong with us. And so being able to talk about somebody uh, as a human, instead of potentially kind of uh, giving them this condemning picture of there's the people that uh, don't love God or reject God or are gross or disgusting to us, but rather, all of us... All have fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone's in a desperate need for Jesus. The other thing you brought up that reminded me is just of how quick uh, views are shifting on this. You remember, like fifteen years ago, and I, I might be wrong on the on the dates, there's this big cultural trend of how we shouldn't have uh, boys and girls sections in toy stores. How they should just be uh, toys, not boys' toys and not girls' toys. And it was saying, like, girls should be allowed to play with any toy they want. Boys should be allowed to play with any toy they want. And so they were trying to eliminate gender in toy stores. Well, now, uh, 15, 20 years later, whatever it is, the big thing is like, no, 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 no. We do have boys' toys and girls' toys. But if you have a biological boy that then likes girls' toys, then he is actually maybe a girl. And so it's not that the toys needed a change. Yes, now it's like, oh, if the... If there is girls' clothes, but if the boy likes girls' clothes, he is a girl, or he, maybe he is a girl, or he feels like a girl. And so you can tell the cultural swinging just in the last few years, and that's why it's fascinating to me where we're going. And that's why part of me thinks we not only need to be thinking about how do we equip families for this conversation about this specifically, but families, how can you build a foundation on which wherever the culture goes, you're able to come back and say, right. but what is the authority of Scripture here? because the scripture is not going to change. The standard doesn't change because the world around it changes. Expect that while your kids are young now, they will be teenagers maybe in 10 years, that things will have changed by then. You have teenagers now, and in 10 years, they're in their mid-20s. Expect that things will have changed by then. But the thing that will still be true is God's word. So uh, Chelsea, Cassie, what are some of the things in scripture that come to mind for us when you think about uh, transgenderism or when you think about addressing sexuality?
0: Well, I think about um, how we are not to be given to uh, our feelings or desires of our heart, that those things would identify us, like He's given us an identity. And so, again, going to Genesis 1 and 2, and then I think about in Jeremiah when it talks about the heart is deceitful, and just how often I catch myself, my own heart, deceiving me with my my own feelings or the lies that I'm prone to believe about who I am. And so— The question of identity is not a new question. Like this is something the Bible addresses, but also it's something we've grappled with for a really long time as humans about who we are and uh, looking to the world or the culture around us to inform that rather than God's word is where we would, you know, where we get into dangerous.
1: Yeah. Chelsea, what about you? Any scriptures come to mind for you?
2: Yeah, this one might seem unrelated, but I feel like it is. Uh, Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in human form, it's talking about Jesus, being found in human form. So what does that mean? That means he has a body, right? He has a male body. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient yeah. to the point of death, even death on a cross. And this is so important to think about Christ's body Dying a real death, surrendering his body to what's painful, what goes against our our desires in a sense, not that he didn't want to give his life for us, but um, what felt really painful in his body, but he did it to walk in complete submission to the will of the Father. And so transgenderism becomes this really relatable struggle to say all of us have desires in our body— that don't line up with the will of the Father. Yeah, And the Bible says that we have this perfect Savior, this great high priest um, who's been tempted in every way, right? But he, mm. then he goes ahead and sacrifices his body to the will of the Father. And we follow in his footsteps, being transformed into his image. So this is just beautiful to me to think about, to go... Yeah. If, for those of us in the church who are seeking to follow Christ, mm-hmm. they may feel like their struggle, their, their gender dysphoria, the way they feel about their body is unrelatable. And you go, no, we have this great high priest who went before us mm-hmm. and he even submitted his body to not only what felt like death to him, but was an actual physical death, right? So when, when we submit our bodies to the will of the Father and it feels like death, we are not alone. Mm.
1: I love that because that brings up again that picture of embracing or surrendering our desires to the Lord. And if we have a desire in our heart for something that the Lord has not called us to, and we embrace that, then we are choosing what the Bible would call foolishness or call sin. And uh, for... uh, Well, I have never, personally, I've never struggled with same-sex attraction. It's never been something for me. I can absolutely attest to the fact that while I am very attracted to my wife and I love my wife in the history of my life I've been attracted to other people and wanted uh, relationships with other people and so before I knew my wife there were there were girls that I chased and and girls that I wanted to be with and but they're, I, they're all dead though because yeah.
2: <laughs> I killed them
1: <laughs> right well now we can edit out that confession just in case you're worried about you know the police finally catching up with you yes <laughs> <laughs> But if we were to say to any man to say, um, well, if you're attracted to more than one woman, then you must be polyamorous. Therefore, uh, Mm. monogamous marriage is not going to be something that we're going to ask you to pursue. Or uh, fidelity to your wife is not something that you need to feel uh, accountable to because you must be polyamorous because you're attracted to more than one person. We'd say, no, no, no. You need to surrender that desire to the Lord, not embrace that. And if somebody says, well, you know, I'm just like, uh, I just love pornography or... I just uh, love uh, this inappropriate emotional relationship I have with this person over Zoom or this app or this massage parlor. Every one of us would say, no, 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 no. That is a desire to be surrendered to the God. Not not to say, let me embrace that. It must be who I am. It must be part of my identity. I, it must be, um, I must not be to blame because the question that comes down to that we need to equip our kids with is to say, hey, is your heart's desire always something that you need to listen mm. to? Mm -hmm. Or do you need to uh, surrender whatever your heart's desire is to God's standard? Because if our heart's desire is what we listen to, then we will steal, we will lie, we will commit adultery, we Mm -hmm. will covet. We will not honor our father and mother. Why? Because my heart doesn't always want to. But then when it comes to this argument, our culture has made it sexuality so much about identity that to disagree is to hate a person. And so we have to help our kids understand, no, we we are going to disagree. We're not going to hate someone over a right. disagreement. We're actually going to empathize and say no me me too. I'm the same way. I also have desires that need yeah. to be surrendered to God. That do not uh, that are not desires to obey him. Cassie, help us think through that. How do we equip our kids to think about uh, these things without vilifying, uh, equip them not to vilify somebody who thinks differently. This is something we've talked a lot about this season. We've talked about being culturally different as mm-hmm. Christians. How do we keep from vilifying the—or um, treating them like they're some kind of opposition? They oppose yeah. us.
0: Well, that starts in our own hearts. We can't equip our kids to not vilify it if we are in our own hearts struggling with that. So I would say look inward at, you know—and I think oftentimes this is because of fear. What I've seen in older generation uh, generations is this a fear that, um, that drives the way that they interact with people who are different from them. And so I think we stop stop that fear and we remind ourselves that um, Christ and his church doesn't have to be afraid, that that we know that the gates of hell will not prevail. And so um, we can have hope and uh, we can love our neighbor without having to be afraid of um, whatever it is that we're afraid of. I think, too, we need to be careful about um, believing everything we read in the news or on social media and just guard your hearts about what you're what your intake is when it comes to this conversation and drive it uh, to personal relationships. And so I would imagine at this point, we all have neighbors or coworkers or uh, baristas or whatever it is um, who think differently about us in this regard. And so I would say start to build relationships with people um, and put a face to the issue and a relationship and seek to love love our neighbors that way. And then out of that, we're going to teach our kids um, about these people are made in the image of Christ as man, the crown jewel of His creation. Right, every every man and woman is marked with the image of God, and so we teach them about that, and then we seek to show compassion and love and hospitality to those who are different from us. And so that's where I would that's where I would start.
1: Amen. That's a great answer. Cassie, thank you so much for that. All right. I just want to add in real quick. I know the basic question that we're covering is how do you talk to your kids about LGBTQ plus? And while I don't think this is prescriptive, I think it may be helpful to listeners to hear how we did it in the Griffin household. How did we actually talk to our kids about this? I'll tell you uh, in our house, I know we've shared this before. I have a uh, night every month that one of our kids is it's their night the the fifth the sixteenth or the ninth depending on the kid it lines up with their birthday and on those nights those kids get to stay up a little bit later and while that's not every month on on a regular basis we'll also have some of our more significant conversations and so we have a lot of talks about sexuality biology those kind of things on those nights of the month so I kind of have a, a rhythm where it's not unusual for me to talk to my kids about things going on either, either what the the word of God calls us to what we're struggling with or what's going on in the world and so We have a regular built-in time in our family where we can talk about things like this. Now, when we did have a bigger talk about this, like, for instance, when um, we did a milestone trip with my 10-year-old son, uh, we talked a lot about, and I've talked before on the show, about curse words, about words we don't say, and part of that, too, was about Talking about LGBTQ, we I not only made it clear like what these things are, words he might hear, uh, what are the concepts, but we also explained a couple things that I think are important and I think parents uh, would be important for you to include uh, for anybody. Uh, And that is teaching your kids that somebody's uh, sexual orientation or somebody's uh, gender fluidity. uh, While those are things we want to have a lot of compassion for the human being, even though we dissent from the opinion, from the even though we would uh, biblically disagree maybe with the conclusion somebody is making. I want to always explain to my kids that the way somebody describes themselves, thinks about themselves, or what they're attracted to is never going to be the punchline of your joke. We are never going to. There are certain words that we will never use to call somebody, derogatory terms. And so I've explained to my kids at an age-appropriate time, what are those derogatory terms? You might hear them, but you will never use them. And so we explain those things as well. And then the the language we use around uh, this a lot in our household is uh, God's design. So we'll explain about attractions and various attractions people might have, and we'll explain um, about people who maybe don't feel at home in their own body but the words, the language you will use is what is God's design for what a um, what mankind should be, how, how our bodies should work, what are the things he's called us to, and then how has sin corrupted it? How are things different because of sin in the world? And so that's a language we use a lot. I hope that's helpful just to hear kind of the, the brass tacks answer of how to talk to your kids about this. I think a lot of what we're saying is good, compassion. And empathy, uh, but also to help our kids understand it's never a punchline to a joke. And we use the language of God's design.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, as you mentioned singleness and uh, God's plan for singles and how that is good and right, I just, it makes me think of like how God made us and created us for more than just marriage. Like, He created us to operate in other relationships as well. And there's a lot of good and satisfaction and intimacy to be found in friendship. And it feels like, there is not. There are not a lot of voices talking about what Christian friendship can look like and what um, intimacy can be found in those relationships. And we've made a lot out of sexual intimacy and how that's like this ultimate form of intimacy that we should pursue and seek after and find satisfaction in. And we've kind of left behind this idea of um, intimacy within friendship and how yeah. God has wired us for that connection. And we see Christian friendship in the Bible— um, and uh, I know that we've got a couple of our previous interviewers uh, or interviewees uh, are working on books on friendship. Justin Whitmill Early and Rebecca McLaughlin are both um, working on friendship books. I'm eager to get those. And we could maybe do a whole episode on this. But I think teaching our children um, about friendship and then encouraging like intimacy within their own friendships will help build uh, a foundation of them experiencing that before they even are broaching their own sexuality.
1: Good. Yeah, I think a lot of it is like you're saying. It's it's helping kids through confusion, and a lot of the, the a lot of the young women that Chelsea and I have met who've uh, ended up in same sex relationships by surprise to them, started with confusion around what is a, a a good friendship, and and then a lot of them also were looking for safety from uh, negative friendships yeah. and negative sexual relationships with people the opposite sex. Uh, I love what you're saying there, Cassie. Now, Chelsea, I know you have a bit of a soapbox here, but In short, can you tell us a little bit about how do we teach our kids? Uh, Because I feel like we get caught up in this conversation, and if you just have this really feeling heavy-handed, or maybe parents, you feel like this is an awkward talk because you haven't had a lot of talks about sexuality with your kids, it can make sex seem like something that is taboo and wrong and ugly and awful. But we, like we affirmed at the beginning, sex is God's invention. Sexuality is God's invention. It is actually a beautiful thing that God gave us as a gift, how do we teach our kids in a way that celebrates the beautiful godly versions of God's design for sexuality?
2: Yeah, I didn't know I had a soapbox, uh, but always...
1: <laughs> You've got a know. lot of them. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's true. You're right. I just didn't know about that one specifically, but you're right. I do have a lot. Uh, that's going to be on my Patreon uh, podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm just thinking about how when we do premarital counseling, you, always, uh, you, you work with a lot of wives or future wives talking about You know, the kind of sense of impurity, even in marital sex. And you're so good at talking through that. Like, God's design is not something ugly.
2: Yeah, toxic purity really, really hurt us. Um, All those demonstrations with, uh, if anybody went to like a Baptist camp growing up, They may have seen, uh, you know, boys and girls are separated and girls were taken somewhere with like two pitchers of water and they make one of them really dirty. Mm. Um, Or they take like a beautiful rose and then they have like a dried up wilted rose. (laughs) And they're like, you could be a beautiful rose. But if you have sex before you're married, then you're this tattered, damaged, yucky, ugly rose. And I mean, these eight year old girls are just walking away going, I, I definitely want to be the the beautiful flower, but uh, a lot of confusion there, I think, yeah. f- uh, for our generation after some of those conversations. And um, uh, it's really hurt the, the version that God has for us, right? Because he does have a good gift that we have uh, twisted and tainted like we do everything, but um, with our kids, uh, an easy thing to do in our church, where where Adam and I are, we have tons of young couples that are getting engaged and getting married, and so just being able to celebrate those things with our kids to um, share in the joy. Um, our kids see us do premarital counseling, and um, while they're not there for you know the talks we're having about sex and marriage with these couples, but just getting to celebrate with our kids that you know this this man has found a wife and. Uh, and they are going to start a family together and uh, celebrating our own marriage by forcing our kids to watch our wedding video. <laughs> but we want to paint a picture of of God's goodness and God's design that is to be enjoyed, that's not to be ashamed of, that's not to be demonized. We right. want to teach our kids uh, that God gives good gifts and that we can enjoy them and walk in them. Um, but it, when we look at the scripture as a whole, you know, we see that The Bible starts with a marriage and ends with a marriage, and the marriage is between two different entities, right? And so um, we can teach how sexuality mirrors that union between God and His people and just glorify God.
1: Yeah, I think one of the conversations I have often with people who are struggling with this, either the conversation or the internal feeling, and uh, the same, it's very similar to the conversation I have with somebody struggling with shame and guilt from uh, heterosexual promiscu- uh, promiscuity or extramarital affair, uh, the shame and guilt around those things. It, the conversations are very similar in that the root lie that a lot of us are believed and I have believed, and I think we can help our kids address this early, is that if we just had the right relationship or the right encounter, then my life would be better. Uh, that my day would improve or my week would improve. If I could just find the right website or the right affair or the right girlfriend, or for a lot of the young men I talk to who struggle with same-sex attraction, there's this belief that if they just had the right boyfriend, everything would be better. And for those who struggle with gender dysphoria, who believe if I could just wear different clothes, my life would be better. And if I could just uh, be somebody different than I was born, uh, then my life would be better. And so there's this... um, condemnation that they believe is hanging over them that would be resolved if they just had something different. And I think what we want to teach you and our kids is that everything that you're looking for in different clothes, gender, or relationship is something you already have in Jesus Christ, Yeah, that you will always find dissatisfaction in this life because it's corrupted and broken. And there is no right relationship or surgery or uh, clothes change that's gonna solve something in you. And while you may find a momentary gladness in something that the Lord has not called you to, there is an eternal satisfaction to be found in Christ. And I do not believe he has arbitrarily warned us against the things that we're talking about in this episode. I believe that he has a heart for his people. And if we had, and we can talk more about this, but if we had a more well-developed picture for our kids of what singleness and holiness and singleness could look like, I think it would help this conversation a lot. Our culture has built such a picture of romance as the center of happiness yeah. that it's really hard to convince a kid who's tempted towards a relationship the Lord has warned him against or her against right. that that is not what God's best is for them. And so as a parent, you seem like a fuddy-duddy or a uh, a killjoy or as uh, some kind of old-fashioned archaic, you just don't get me, dad. You just don't get me, mom. Instead of a person who lovingly says, no, I, I get you. I, I feel you because I'm there too. And all of us need to surrender to Christ who we are. And even if that yeah. means that the relationship I want or the the gender I wish I was is something that I surrender. And so I hope as a, as a family, we're able to have really clear conversations. Now, mm-hmm. there are great resources out there that can actually walk you through. Here's how to have it. Here's Here's some things to ask. Here's some things to say. That's great. I hope what you're hearing us say today is to build it off compassion. Compassion for the kid in front of you, compassion for the culture they find themselves in, and yeah. compassion for those who feel differently. And that's where we're going to land. That's uh, that's the best place we can give you. There's certainly more to have this conversation. If something we said upset you today, I'm so sorry. I hope what it did was equip you, though, to understand that the Bible's where we base what we believe. It's where it, God is where is my Lord and King, not my own heart. And I want to pursue that wholeheartedly. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. If you think it's as important as we do to disciple our families, help us out by giving us a great review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can visit one of our sponsors, share this episode with one of your friends. And if you want to keep up with us or join the conversation, you can follow the Family Discipleship Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We love you, listeners. Looking forward to all God has for us this fall. We will see you next week.